Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic Astrology. And our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning again, Penny. Uh, welcome back. Thank you, Van. Nice to be back. Well, I think today we're going to talk about karma. It's the big K day. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I remember the first time that I met your teacher, Hart Defoe, or one of your teachers, Hart. Um, he was giving a lecture in San Diego, and this was probably about 15 years ago. And he started his lecture by quoting Gandhi, who said that God invented karma and then retired. In fact, you you, you stole my thunder, but I'm happy <laughs> for you to do it. <laughs> That's exactly the said to have been um, ascribed to Gandhi. Exactly. Yeah. After inventing the law of karma, God was able to retire. Something along those lines. Yes. Right. And I've always, well, I've just, I've always, I've always loved that quote. And I think it's, I think it's very succinct because it is, it is certainly karma that keeps the universe going. And it's us um, going, keeps us on the merry-go-round. It certainly does. It certainly <laughs> does. <laughs> but you know, karma uh, is a very loaded concept, you know, especially for the Western mind and the implications of, of karma uh, become, I would say, maybe troublesome in some ways. And then the, the, the concept of how does that interface with uh, who I am as an individual? Right. Uh, it, it's kind of the, the, the uh, nature-nurture um, uh, idea. You know, again, I was trained as a geneticist, so that was always a, a big one, mm-hmm. nature versus nurture. And we can express with, with karma, of course, karma versus free will. And where, how do those play? <laughs> what's, right. the, what's, the, what's the seesaw? What's the playground? So I thought it was really worth uh, looking into that, getting some, just some concepts, some philosophical concepts, some examples, you know, some ways of thinking about it before we dovetail that into our whole question of, of Jyotisha, the umbrella of Jyotisha, and how does Jyotisha um, interface with this whole discussion? Because if it does um, represent, represent um, life, a person's life, then this is a central issue. You know, are we looking at complete predestination when we look at a Jyotish chart? And do I have the God-given right as, uh, as a human being to determine my future. Very fascinating topic. Well, very, very fascinating. <laughs> and, and as we were talking about last week, um, it's, it's, it's a very fine line between uh, useful, a useful uh, interpretation of these concepts and superstition. Absolutely. And, and someone can abdicate you know, all responsibility for who they are and what they do 
-hmm. if they get way off on the, you know, the side of, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It's all determined anyway. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. (laughs) Well, you know, there is a bumper sticker that I see every now and then here in in, uh, in Los Angeles that says, my karma ran over your dogma. So I think on the on the positive side, at least people have this um, uh, have this sen- general sense of karma as being consequences of action, but in fact, it's really more than that. Much more than that. It is much more than that, but and also it's a misnomer in a way because because karma is not really the effects of action. Karma is really the action. Yeah, the action itself. Yeah, the action itself, and. Uh, there's a more technical term, karma pala, uh, being the results of action. Once again, one of those little compounds that I mentioned, Sanskrit was so fond of of, uh, formulating and making up unbelievable combinations of words that are unique and wonderful by just compounding them. (laughs) So karma pala is is another expression of that. We could say results of action. Pala pala means fruit, right? It means fruit in, you know, that's one of its meanings. But mm-hmm. we could also say the results. It, it actually oh, okay. literally does mean results as well as fruit. Because fruit is the result of the process of seed to tree to seed again. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. At least for some trees, they fruit in the process. Right. And then that's the, that's the, the fulfillment in a way right. of the tree. So karma and karmapala, and it just became more popular to just shorten it to karma. But an Indian would say, I'm doing my karmas. Mm-hmm. And, and So in know, that sense, it's, it's duty, right? Yeah. And in karma fact, when an duty. Indian says, I'm doing my karmas, usually it means their rituals. Right. Yeah, something, you know, something much more geared in that direction. So, so karma is action. And... Um, you know, it's it's a kind of neutral thing. It's how you do your actions, <laughs> right? You know what the intentions are. You know what actions actually get done that start to flavor things up. So, you know, one other um, perhaps loaded implication of of karma, certainly as the philosophical concepts have come from India, is they imply um, over lifetimes. The karmas over lifetimes, which brings in the whole question of transmigration of the soul. Mm-hmm. But we don't even have to think that way. You know, I know probably a lot of the audience on, um, you know, on this particular website is quite comfortable with that. But I, I work with um, a lot of Westerners who either haven't made up their minds or, you know, they aren't so comfortable with that. No problem. We can still invoke this concept of actions. Uh, that then start to, so to speak, direct or limit uh, future actions, condition one. And if, just if you get to put it that way, it is conditioning. Right. We are conditioned creatures. And even if we take away, you know, the whole concept of, um, of uh, transmigration of the soul of reincarnation, we're still left with the fact that we gestate within a certain mother and a certain father and their chemistry and what our mother eats and how happy she is during uh, the pregnancy already starts to condition. And, you know, this is known scientifically, this is known psychologically. 
so we come into the world, whether we're carrying a backpack that represents lifetimes or carrying a backpack that simply represents how we've been conditioned by our uh, parent and our own genetics, uh, we're still wearing a backpack. We're not naked. Right. And that backpack can cause, you know, one shoulder to droop down a bit, <laughs> depending <laughs> on whether it's lopsided or not. Or something, some rocks in that backpack may be digging into our, our back and it's uncomfortable. Well, it, it it can be it can also it can express it can find expression in a lot of different ways. I have a I have a friend whose mother, when she was pregnant, just could not keep food down. The mm -hmm. only thing that she could eat was watermelon, and she <laughs> ate watermelon every day. And and my my friend David, is a watermelon fanatic. It's his favorite fruit. It always has been, and he was mystified um, uh, until he was a teenager, and he was talking to his mom about it. And, and she explained, we said, well, that's because, you know, that was, you had a lot of watermelon when you were in the womb because that's all I could eat. Right. So, so, these, so what I found interesting or telling about that one thing is that these influences may not be conscious things. They, they find expression in how we relate to the world, but it's not a matter, not necessarily a matter of choice. He could control it. I mean, he could say, I'm not having watermelon today. But, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, the, the things that we do, it's, it's conditioning. And that's why, I, you know, I like, I like that word. Right. Absolutely. And so the, the, the idea, the skill, once again, of the, of the Jyotishi is to uphold the very unique uh, position that a human being holds uh, in their incarnation, in their birth as a human being, which is that they are more than other sentient creatures uh, graced with free will. Right. And they also are expressions of their conditioning. Again, whether we're invoking, you know, a big, big conditioning from lifetimes or simply the conditioning they came in uh, in this particular birth. And it is the, uh, the job of the Jyotishi to x-ray the backpack. See what's in that backpack. Are there rocks we can take out? Are there gold nuggets we can polish up? And, you know, that becomes a very important uh, position for Jyotishi to take, that there is free will. It always must be acknowledged. And then how do you work with that? And so I wanted to discuss a little bit of, uh, about that today. One thing that I, I like to say to my own clients, a little analogy that I love to give with respect to free will and karma before we get into technical discussion of karma, uh, is this analogy. If a physicist was observing someone um, who's about to pull back an arrow on a boat and aim it and hit a target, it's totally possible for that physicist, given the, the thickness of the string, the uh, thickness of the arrow, the strength of the person, the strength of the bow, the distance to the target, all of those things, to calculate pretty accurately the trajectory. You agree with that? Absolutely. And that physicist would be right. You know, if, if they were um, on their stuff, they could calculate that trajectory and uh, the arrow would follow that predictable path. 
what a physicist can't do is account for a sudden breeze, right? Right. And if that breeze comes up, then that arrow is not going to land where calculated. And of course, it depends on the strength of the breeze and how quickly the arrow flies, you know, and so there's variables even within this little um, theoretical picture I've, I'm painting. And we could think of the wind as the free will. So if a person has a particular trajectory as seen by their natal chart, and we'll talk about that in, in just a bit, that trajectory can get influenced by that person's free will just as the flight of the arrow can get influenced by the wind. And this is something that is critically important because there would be no reason to read a chart if everything was cast in stone, if everything had to be that way. It would be, um, well, I mean, why would you, why would you want to do <laughs> yeah, that? Right, right. <laughs> the, you know, I, the, I'm, I'm totally reminded of the fact that the root text for Jyotisha, uh, Brihat Parashara Hora Shastra, opens up the very first thing in that text is a prayer to Ganesha, Vigneshvara is, uh, is how it's put. And basically, it stands for the removal, the fact that, that you apply to Ganesh to help remove suffering, to help relieve suffering, or sorrow is actually, I think, how it's translated. And that's a reminder, because it sits in such a prominent place in that text, that the whole reason we do this is to lessen the burden, is to help. And so uh, the idea of something being totally fixed and beyond remedy is just an antithetical to the whole system. So we want to play with this idea of karma, but with the understanding that karma is a conditioning and there are ways to deal with conditioning. And this, and the, and this beautiful tradition that we've been talking about for the last few um, discussions we were having part of its incredible strength, as you well know, because your life has been completely embedded in this over these years, mm -hmm. is a, a, something I'm fond of calling the Vedic toolbox. You know, you diagnose and you have the toolbox. And the system allows the Jyotishi, the diagnostician, whoever it is, to prescribe or pull out the perfect tool to deal with that particular conditioned pattern, uh, which usually unfolds in time or at a particular time. So the concept of karma and free will is extremely uh, fascinating and important for both the uh, practitioner and the person who comes for help to bear in mind. Someone may hear things about their conditioning or the patterns in their chart. And sometimes it's delivered in a way that doesn't give them that room for thinking that they can 
interact with that information in a very constructive way and help their situation. And so this always has to be borne in mind on, on both sides, on the side of the person giving the, you know, the session and the person receiving the session. The dignity of the human being as, uh, as a, a being that does have that free will is not only important in terms of having hope, but it's also important in taking responsibility for one's life. <laughs> which brings us to kind of the flip side, that if one is very uh, married to the principle that it doesn't matter what I do, uh, this is my karma, and it's all going to kind of come out the same way anyway, that's, you know, that's a, a one-way ticket to uh, disaster, <laughs> really, because it does matter. Uh, I remember Hart saying, um, you could be in the best planetary period of your life, but if you drive down the freeway with your eyes closed, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah, how true. How true. Well, I so, think I think there's the, there's a balance that that as astrologers we we oftentimes try very hard to help people find. Um, uh, you know, it, it it it's like going back to my childhood. I've been fascinated by by Indy cars and Formula One racing. My my ideal life trajectory would have been to be involved in that, but you know, at fifty five, I think it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> and <clears throat> no matter how much free will I have, <laughs> or or choose to exercise, and I so I think I think sometimes as astrologers, we <clears throat> we have to we have to help people see, um, you know, that first of all that they do have free will but also to help them find a balance to set reasonable goals and expectations to make use of the the talent and 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 the um strengths that they have and yet at the same time astrology can be very useful because if someone says you know I want to I want to play basketball for the Lakers and you know they're 40 years old I think it's probably not going to happen and you make a beautiful, beautiful point, and and this is is such an important point, is that there is there are things that cannot be changed, and this again, Westerners have a little more trouble with that concept, but that is a fact. Uh, I can't change the fact that my mother is my mother. I can right. abandon her, but I can't change that fact. I can't change the fact that I'm an American. Now, people do a lot these days to change certain things that were given, you know, years and years ago. People can have sex changes. Right. Uh, you know, people can do a lot to to exercise that free will, whether that's productive or unproductive. I'm certainly not going to comment on it really as an individual case-by-case uh, basis. But it is a fact, just as you say, if you're, you know, if you're five foot six, you're probably not going to be an NBA basketball player. That is just the way it is. There are certain limitations, and this kind of limitations uh, in the in the uh, tradition can represent karmas of a firm sort, the karmas that really are not going to be able to be shifted by one's free will. We we give that name to that. We call it drud or fixed. Again, a word people don't like very much fixed, kind of puts up that red flag in front of a bull. I'll show them. But in fact, it's true. There are things you cannot change, fixed. 
And then there are the things that you can change quite easily. You know, I don't like California. Oh my goodness. Does anybody not like California? Well, perhaps. So I can move to New York. Um, or I don't like the U.S., I can move to France. So there are things that we can change easily. And that's represented in the tradition by this concept of adrud. It's a negation of drud, adrud, not fixed. And then there's patterns that represent something in between. Um, here's a story I often use when I'm explaining this concept. Let's take uh, something that's important in most people's lives. Let's take the concept of relationships. I think about every um, 99% of the readings, someone will ask about relationships. So let's take the idea of relationships and let's imagine that we're floating down the river of relationships. Let's take the concept of relationships as the flow of a river. And we're flowing down that river in an inner tube tire. Now, if we're flowing down that river, you know, I always use Iowa for this example, but these days I might not no. use Iowa because the rivers are not that friendly right now. No, no, no. But let's say I'm flowing down a river in a flattish country, okay? I'll have a fairly comfortable ride down that river in my inner tube tire, but let's say I happen to know or I've been told that around the bend of the river, there are some uh, rocks and some tree branches that are causing some roughness in the water, you know, some obstruction to my easy uh, float. Well, I could organize some friends and, you know, go down there and take all that stuff or rearrange it. And if I did that, then my float through that river, that part of the river of relationships would, you know, continue to be smooth. That represents the kind of, of pattern of karma that's not fixed or not very fixed. It's easy to exert one's free will, organize some friends, and have a smooth ride. What if the river is in country that's a little bit hillier and the portion of the river has a drop, maybe six-foot drop, some rocks around, maybe higher drop? Well, that could be dangerous, that little portion of the river. And I could, if I felt strongly enough about this river of relationships, I could hire the Army Corps of Engineers. And they could, at great expense and a certain amount of effort, cut an alternate path around that portion of the river. And I could still have my float. But it would have required quite a lot of uh, intense energy in that direction, but it can be done. What if the river is the Colorado River and we're about to float through the Grand Canyon on your inner tube tire and you're about to encounter a 20-foot standing wave in Class 5 rapids? This point, <laughs> um, you are not going to hire the Army Corps of Engineers to cut an alternative path through the Grand Canyon. It's not going to happen. You are going to have to go through that patch of the river. But you still can choose to go down that patch of the river with a rafting company rather than in an inner tube. Will you still face the standing wave? Yes. Will you still go through Class 5 rapids? Yes. 
Might you be terrified or uncomfortable? Yes. But you will survive as opposed to going through with the inner tube tire. Chances are you won't. And what you have done is you have put yourself in a position to have the best relationship with what is. This is, I think, what you were getting at, uh, Ben, with your story about not being a Formula One race <laughs> right. car driver. You know, so you watch Formula One race car drivers, <laughs> <laughs> or you have some, uh, you have some video game, <laughs> right, 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 or you play bumper cars or whatever you do, but you come up with a healthy relationship to a preference, and we're talking about now. Uh, this concept that as human beings, we all are entitled to our preferences. But when our preference becomes uh, an obsession, um, a raga, an attachment to some particular uh, facet of life, which is exactly the facet of life where this concept of drud karma is operating, then we wind up batting our heads against the wall and perhaps not paying attention to drud karma of a desirable kind, because it's not only that a person can have patterns of karma that are firm, only with respect to things that are uncomfortable. They can also have patterns of karma that are firm with respect to things that are quite wonderful, right? No, so you could have the unlikeliest person uh, shooting to the top, for no apparent reason, you know, so certainly for, for whatever reason, I, I think it's probably my teacher Hart's um, uh, comedy routine about this, uh, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger pops into mind. You're probably the most unlikely person to be an actor, you know, in a, a U.S. star. You know, he just doesn't have the... the he just doesn't have the ingredients, you know, in, in some way of a kind of classic um, a heartthrob, does he? And M Much or, less a governor. Much less a governor. That's what I was about to say. Much less a governor. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Because of the adrishta. You know, if, if one would look at this man's chart, one would see pattern upon pattern upon pattern. Confluence, the word that my teacher loves to use. Uh, for the success that we see in his life in the most unlikely vessel, all due respects to Governor Schwarzenegger. Right, know? right. Uh, and so we could have drud karma. You know, any excuse will do, my teacher says. With some people, you know, the patterns in their chart are such that any excuse will do. So the slightest little thing will trigger this, this uh, tidal wave of success. So it isn't only in uh in a negative sense it can be in a very positive sense too but for the person who's so caught in what doesn't work and is uh is obsessed with what doesn't work they may miss out on all those beautiful patterns and this is one of the reasons for having a chart done so you can uh so you can um really see where to put your energy and at what time, when, because these things uh, work through the wheel of time. Well, you know, uh, when clients come to me and, and they say, okay, I want, to, I want to see what what is coming up in the upcoming year, I often uh, say to them that 
looking at the, the the patterns as they extend into the future is a little little bit like giving a weather report. Um, certainly, first of all, things can change, but but secondly, it's a little bit like saying, okay, um, I want to schedule a picnic for next Saturday. Is it going to be a good day? Well, you you can you can you can look at the highs and the lows and the season and 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 the wind and the temperature and so on and so forth. And in terms of weather, you can make a you know a fairly good prediction about well you know yeah it might be a good weekend for a uh, for a picnic. Um, in 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 that sense, I think uh, you know as astrologers sometimes um, you know people will say you know I want to you know start a singing career, and you look at what's what the potentials are in their chart and the the environment in which they're going to be um, launching this career, and it may or may not be a good idea. So it, it, it all seems to be um, both a matter of what they're born with and, you know, the moment in time, whether these things will, will come to fruition. Absolutely. So that brings me to... Um uh, really a beautiful uh, point that I'm not sure is factored in as it should be. And that is that there are three kinds of karmas. In fact, when, uh, you know, when we do that um, student teacher prayer or, or many of the, of the um, chants, they often end with the Shantipat. They end with Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. And it's, peace unto the three sources of karma. So it's well known in the tradition that there are three sources of karma. And one is adhyapnika, which is karma that's self-generated. Mm. And this is the karma that we usually are thinking about when we're talking about my karma or my karma pala. Uh, you know, this is what um, seems to be the conditioning. But we are uh, part of a world and this world has other beings in it and the karma that comes to us a courtesy of or as a result of sometimes it's not a courtesy of other beings is also a source of karma adibautika other mm -hmm. beings and so it isn't always that something happens because of our own patterns it might be that there's something in that interaction. So, you know, you're, um, you're in a car accident because someone else is driving drunk. Mm -hmm. It might not always be that that was generated by you and them. It may be the result of this other being. Uh, an epidemic caused by a vector like a mosquito or the bubonic plague. Is that the karma of every single individual? Or was that colliding with this organism? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's an yeah. interesting thought. And then that gets extended to the third source, which is um, adidaivika, um, which you could say divinity or simply nature, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, events in nature. So come back to the tsunami, you know, or these floods. Our same thought that, that human beings or and animals and whatever get caught up in an event that's that's 
huge and bigger than anyone's individual uh, karmic conditioning. And so that gets taken into account also. <clears throat> and that actually can even be read in a chart. Self-generating versus from others versus from uh, larger circumstances. And then it can be of this the, the same three levels of intensity. Is it very fixed? Is it uh, somewhat mutable? Is it pretty much free choice, free will? Interesting, huh? It's fascinating. I mean, because it, it, it pulls it all together in mm-hmm. and, and these are the uh really the three things you know the things that i do myself the things that others do to me and the circumstances into which i'm born um uh that's what everybody worries about that's what everybody right. wants to know right right and you know part of where the glory of the of the human nervous system and the free will comes in is that we uh, as um, self-reflecting creatures can make decisions that will swing at least as far as we can uh, these patterns in a more productive um, relationship to us, align us better. And here comes the whole concept and um, you know we can kind of close with this idea as a little tidbit of actions that align, that are that are consciously chosen, that are in tune with or in harmony with natural law, which brings grace, and the, the word in the tradition is punya, merit, or actions that um, are violations of the laws of nature that brings um, problems to us, traditionally known as papa. And these two polar or polarities get very distorted in translations. You know, Papa goes to sin. Sin is a very uh, pejorative, judgmental word. If I eat a gallon of Haagen-Dazs, I'm not committing a sin, but I am committing Papa for my body. It's a violation of the laws of nature to take all that in. See what I'm you, saying? You said, you, you, know, you said a gallon? I didn't mean a gallon. No, 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 no. A gallon. I agree. A gallon, maybe it might be. But please, don't don't take away from me my pint of of Haagen-Dazs. I didn't say pint. I said a gallon. <laughs> but I suspect that court starts to flirt with it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but the point is that um, it's not a sin in the in the kind of judgmental you right. know, sense. Right. But right. it's still a violation of the law of nature. You know, you don't sleep more than two hours a night. You know, that creates a conditioning in your body that is a violation of the laws of nature, and it's papa for the body. That's, you know, so that's basically what I'm talking about. And so part of what this tradition cultivates through the teachings is an encouragement and awareness and even a natural tendency to start um, cultivating practices and ways of thinking and living that create more uh, of the useful alignment, and therefore put punya back into the karmic bank account. Exactly. exactly. And once again, Jyotish is so useful, and the whole Vedic toolbox is so useful in suggestions for how we could do that. So right. It's, it's the, our... right. It's the, it's the diagnosis and treatment, and, and exactly. uh, Jyotish exactly. being the diagnosis. And I think the, the one big point in, in our conversation today is that the scope of Jyotish 
is is really much broader than what people usually think it is, not only in terms of what it can show, but also the fact that it's integrated with uh, various, you know, in quotes, technologies for living in in harmony with uh, natural law, with with dharma. Perfect, beautiful, and and uh, you know, we can close with once again returning to the fact that every uh, root work in Jyotish starts with some kind of acknowledgement of uh, of an aspect of the divine in case in the case of Parasha to uh, to Ganesha and 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 states that the whole reason for this work is to help the um, uh, relieve the sorrow of mankind and so that is our first and primary duty as Jyotishis. Flashy predictions, you know, may be fun and may catch people's attention, right. but our real role is to help people align. Yes. 